The following program is sponsored by Fairly Spiritual on KCIS. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Doug Bursch, pastor of Evergreen Church in Auburn, Washington, and you are listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. So sometimes we like to sell Christianity as you do this and great things will happen. These three things and success will come to your life. You'll have a better marriage and a better family and you'll have the house and the car and, you know, you'll prosper. Well, there certainly is such a thing as spiritual prosperity, but it doesn't necessarily look like what the world's prosperity looks like. In fact, following Christ can lead to a lot of very difficult trials and tribulations. On today's show, we're going to talk about spiritual prosperity. Hey, thanks for joining me. I am Dr. Doug Bursch, and you are listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. We broadcast on Fridays and Sundays. So glad you could join us. Uh, So, um, prosperity, prosperity gospel, health, wellness, financial stability, all your prayers answered. Now, I believe in miracles. I believe in signs and wonders. I think we're supposed to come to the Lord and pray. God answers prayers, but in America, we get things kind of mixed up. We might do that around the world, but I can only speak for uh, the area that I live. Uh, We have sometimes in America this prosperity gospel that says, if you just hold on to Jesus, really good things are going to happen. You're going to get the marriage you want. You're going to get the kids you want. You're going to get the house you want, the car you want, the job you want. And if you look at a prayer request and a prayer group, you often see where our heart is. It's often about the things that rust and corrode and fade away. Or it's about this, that, you know, I would just be happier if I just had a little more. If I just had a little more money. If I just had a little bit more power. If I just had a little bit more influence. And we often define prospering uh, in America, or even spiritual prosperity, based on things turning around, looking up, going easier, having a better boss, having a better job, that's a sign that we're moving in the right direction. Even we define prosperity in this way, that I have this strong dream and this plan and this vision, and if this could just start happening, then clearly God is on my side. Then I've prospered. And so often prosperity is defined by, you know, the prayer is finally answered, we, we finally see the promised land, and we enter in. But I don't know if that's how Scripture defines prosperity. And to look at it, I'd like to look at the life of Paul, the Apostle Paul's life. Uh, before we do that, uh, we're going to do some housekeeping here. Uh, one, if you'd like to text the show, here's the number, 360-818-4513. And why haven't you? Really, especially if you like the show, uh, why haven't you said, Hey, Doug, I like the show. That's all it takes. I'm a one-thumb texter. You might be a one-thumb texter as well. I don't like using two thumbs. It's too hard. It takes me a long time, but it's not that hard. I'm going to give you this number, and you can just go, Hey, like the show today. Hey, I'm a regular listener. 
hey, I like to start my text with the word hey. I, I don't know, just just something to let me know that you're listening uh, on the radio or through podcast form. However you do it, I'd love to hear from you. Here's the number, 360-818-4513. Now, I say the number three times because I'm that generous. 360-818-4513. 360-818-4513. And for those of you who don't want to text, you're like, God did not give us thumbs to text. I get it. You can leave a message, and I will listen to your message as well. I'm not putting you on some phone list. You're not going to get a call soliciting you uh, to donate. Never. You will never get that. You will get me responding back to you once. You'll text me something like, hey, again, all the texts begin with hey, I guess. Hey, Doug, listen to today's show. Just want you to know that. I'll write back. Thanks. Cool. Great. That's how it works. So 360-818-4513. Also, uh, you can go to the website, fairlyspiritual.org. You can find past shows there. You can also find out ways to subscribe to the podcast. You can subscribe through SoundCloud, through iTunes, through Stitcher. You can also find my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church uh, from a Reluctant Pastor, and a big thing, you can find out how to support this show as well. Uh, Last week, we had someone give $25 and $100. That's huge. That's our economy here. We don't have thousands of dollars coming in from all over the place. If someone gives $25 or $100, that's huge. And so please, if you want to keep this on the radio or you want us to expand into other markets, please donate today. Okay, so there's all that stuff. So uh, this is what I want to get at. Prosperity. Spiritual prosperity. What does it look like? And maybe one of the best ways to look at it is to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, One of the things that I think we overlook is how much time the Apostle Paul spent just kind of doing nothing are nothing that effective in the eyes of the world, are nothing that is really mentioned or demonstrated in the New Testament. We don't really see it in his letters. The ministry he did after conversion, but before he went on all those missionary journeys. Uh, It's mentioned in Acts, and, and Paul mentions it a little bit in his letters, but there's a large period of time where Paul's ministry isn't really that effective where he's kind of just stuck in this place where he's had this powerful conversion experience where he's met the presence of God. In fact, we know that Paul was this mighty man of influence uh, before he met Christ. He was this Pharisee who had tremendous influence, so much influence in uh, Jerusalem that he had authority from the chief priest to go round up this rebellious group of Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem to persecute them and even kill them. He was the one who seemed to be in charge of Stephen being martyred. Uh, He had authority. He came from Tarsus. Uh, He moved up the religious ranks and became someone who had tremendous authority, religious authority, before he was converted to Christianity. And his conversion experience came from this, that he met the presence of Christ. He met Christ on the Damascus road. He was going to Damascus with authority to round up Christians, to take them back to Jerusalem, to persecute them. He had this great authority from Jerusalem. He probably had authority in Damascus. He was going to go into Damascus and uh, find those who were in rebellion, in his opinion, and bring them back, uh, both men and women, uh, to face trials, Uh, to face imprisonment, and even to face death. 
Paul was a man of great religious authority who found out that he was terribly wrong, that he had been working against the God he thought he had been serving. And so if you look in Acts, and I, and I want you to do this, uh, if you're listening in the car, do not drive and look at your Bible at the same time. That's reckless. you got to pull over to the side of the road. If you're jogging, I don't know if you can read and jog at the same time, but I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to read a little bit from Acts 9. Uh, we'll go verse 19. And so Paul has this conversion experience. He meets uh, Christ on the Damascus Road. He's going to persecute Christians, and Christ comes to him and basically says, you're on the wrong side. Uh, he's blind for three days. He doesn't eat or drink. Ananias comes to him, lays hands on him. Paul's eyes are opened up. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what the scripture says about Paul after this. And of course, for those of you who don't know this, you have Saul and Paul. His name's Saul and Paul. So you go back and forth in the scripture about his name being Saul or Paul here. But I'm just going to read a little bit of this and tell you that immediately after his conversion, he has this radical experience. Now think of this, man of authority who has a radical experience. Now you might think this man of authority, after having this radical experience, would immediately be successful in communicating this new experience to all his disciples. That he would begin to prosper in another direction. He had prospered up to this point. He had all these disciples following him to persecute Christians. Now he has this radical experience where he meets Christ. What a testimony, what a story. That you'd think immediately he would be successful. That, and I think at some level he might have thought he'd be successful. Here he'd been able to lead people, influence people, a great persuader. And he has this radical story that he can tell them where he met Christ on the Damascus Road. But what we find in the beginning of Paul's ministry is not success, but actual frustration and failure, at least failure in the eyes of the world. So it goes on, it says, uh, for some days uh, he was with the disciples of Damascus. So he goes into Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now, in Galatians, Paul mentions that he also, he didn't go to Jerusalem right away, but he spent three years in Arabia. Now, it's not mentioned here in Acts, and so we don't quite know what happens but that he probably, Paul probably spent like three years in Damascus. And some scholars disagree on this and the incongruity, and I don't want to fight over all that. It, it, for me, it doesn't matter. The bigger point here is whether he ministered for a short time in Damascus or whether he, he ministered three years in Damascus. His ministry in Damascus is not successful because look what comes next. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. They didn't go, oh, hey, well, you were a man of authority. We we're going to let you, you know, take away Christians here. You clearly had this powerful experience. Uh, if you were wrong, we were wrong. No, they did not want to give up their power. They would, they would follow Paul if he would yield his power to their power, but they were not going to follow Christ. They were going to hold on to their kingdom power, to their governmental power, to their earthly power. Governmental power will not serve Christ power, will not serve kingdom power. Governmental power always wants kingdom power to serve it. And that's a principle that you find over and over again. Whenever kingdom power mixes itself with governmental power, 
kingdom power is always having to submit to governmental power. And here's the same issue. The people who are in, in uh, authority in, in that environment, they don't want to give up that authority to serve Christ. And so here it says, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill Paul. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So he's lowered in a basket, basically, uh, which would be in a very embarrassing way. This is this strong leader who at night is lowered in a basket. It's very similar to the spies being lowered in a basket uh, in the Old Testament. It's very similar even to Moses being sent as a baby in a basket down the river. This great, strong man who has to fear for his life be lowered in a basket down the walls at night in order to escape being killed. Let's move on here a little bit. It says uh, again, and when he had come to Jerusalem, so he goes to Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem was where he was the man, right? Jerusalem was where he had all this authority. He had been commissioned to go to Damascus. So this is where he has other disciples. This is where people know him. But he comes to Jerusalem and he attempted to join the disciples. So he had been in, in Damascus for three years, but the disciples, they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. So the disciples didn't want to have anything to do with him. The people who had followed Jesus, even though Jesus confronted Paul on the Damascus Road, the disciples were like, we don't want to have anything to do with this guy. He murdered Christians. He's persecuted everyone. Everyone has left Jerusalem but, but us because of Paul. You might be a Christian, but we just want you to go away. We don't want you to do anything. We don't want you to be here. Just go away. We don't trust you. It says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So because Barnabas brings him in, the apostles trust him. And you find this later, that the apostles don't seem to really trust Paul very much, except for because of Barnabas. Barnabas is the one who takes Paul on his first missionary journey. The disciples, the apostles, never send for Paul. They don't trust him. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had been the Lord, he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So we went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly. So now Paul is preaching in Jerusalem. And what happens in Jerusalem because he speaks boldly? Well, they want to kill him there too. So it says in verse 30, And when the brothers learned that they wanted to kill him, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So basically, they sent him home to Tarsus. And what you find in the story is that Paul is sent back to Tarsus, his hometown, and he stays there like 10 to 12 years until Barnabas gets him to take him to Antioch. So from his conversion experience to his first missionary journey with Barnabas to go to Antioch, there's 12 years. 12 years. And we skip over this. And I know some of you go like, well, why are you talking about all this, Doug? You know, just talk about how if I pray, good things are going to happen and God's going to answer my prayers and, you know, the great miracles and pursue the visions God has put on your heart. Well, talk about a vision. Paul had this tremendous vision. He had actually encountered the presence of Jesus. Yet he couldn't do anything with that vision. No one trusted him. He goes into Damascus, and uh, the fellow leaders immediately persecute him and want to kill him, so he can't minister in Damascus. He goes to Jerusalem, and the disciples don't trust him, and uh, the Jews that he's ministering to, they want to kill him. 
And so the disciples basically say, let's get him out of Jerusalem. He's just causing conflicts. He's going to get killed here. And they send him to Tarsus. And he just waits in Tarsus. And yes, he probably does ministry in Tarsus, but we don't hear much about that ministry in Tarsus. He's basically waiting because he cannot really minister anywhere because no one trusts him because the reality is what? He persecuted the church and people have scattered all around the regions, all around the Judean area because of his persecution. So he has this strong passion to be able to minister the kingdom, yet no one trusts him. And not until Barnabas comes and gets him about 12 years after his conversion He really doesn't get to put into practice the passion that's in his heart, or at least the full extent of the vision that God has put in his heart. He just has to be faithful to Jesus. Now, why do I bring this up? I think so often when we look at Paul's life, we look at, you know, all the, you know, if I could just be like Paul, if I could just, you know, be as faithful and minister the gospel like him, and we hear of all the stories, and we see the letters he wrote, and we see... You know, he's in prison for preaching the gospel and, and, and all these things. And, we, and we, we think about the ministry aspect of Paul. But the ministry aspect of Paul doesn't happen without the waiting aspect of Paul. Without those 12 years of him just being faithful in Tarsus. See, those 12 years in Tarsus were just where Paul had to realize this. That Jesus was enough. That Jesus was enough. That for Paul, spiritual prosperity was this. Jesus, the presence of Jesus, encountering Jesus, faith in Jesus. It reminds me of Moses. You know, Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land, yet Moses continued to serve God, right? For Moses, the promised land, spiritual prosperity was not actually this land that he would enter into. Uh, For Moses, the promised land was the presence of God in the wilderness. For Paul, the promised land was the presence of God while he was stuck in Tarsus. For each of us, we can have dreams and visions and plans and things that we're trying to strive for and we want, but the reality is God must be enough. And so many of us are trying to be strong and we're, we're trying to do things that make us look good or make us feel good, but we must come to this place that even when we are weak, God is strong. And, and it reminds me of, of how important the presence of God is in our weakness and how important it is for us to understand that true spiritual prosperity is not having all our prayers answered. It's not having all the things we think we need but it's having a powerful, strong, vibrant relationship with Jesus when we're weak, when we're vulnerable, when we're just waiting around in Tarsus, when our prayers haven't been answered, when we're still just kind of struggling to understand what's going to happen next. And if you think I'm exaggerating this, I want to read to you some of Paul's own words. Uh, In 2 Corinthians 11.30, Paul talks about, in 2 Corinthians 11 and in 12, he talks about God's strength in his weakness. But one of the examples he gives about God being strong where he's weak, people are are comparing Paul to these super apostles, and and Paul has this long thing about, you know, I was just as much of a Pharisee as them. I, I, you know, I followed the law better than them. I did all the religious stuff better than them. And this is ridiculous, all this stuff. 
But then Paul says, I'm not going to boast in how well I was a Pharisee or how religious I was. I'm going to boast in this, that when I was weak, God was strong. And so the first story that Paul shares, he, he shares a second story about how he saw, you know, in the heavenlies these amazing things, and to keep him from becoming proud, there was a thorn given to him in his flesh, and he pleaded for that to be taken away, but God said, my, my power is made perfect in your weakness, and you, and you know that story. I've even talked about this. Even last week I talked about this, but before all that, in chapter 11, he tells a different story. And this is the story he tells. And so 2 Corinthians eleven thirty. this is in Paul's own words. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So he's going to boast of the things that show my weakness. And he tells a story of when his ministry was really not successful. He tells one of the first stories of his ministry. He says, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus... He who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, so remember Damascus, that's where he ministered right after his conversion. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. And then he goes on to talk about the strength of God and his weakness. So the first thing Paul brings up is not the stories we think of, right? We think of Paul when, when he faces these calamities and hardships and persecutions. Well, we often think about, you know, while he's in the midst of this successful ministry. But Paul thinks about his weakness when he's kind of a failure. When he's, you know, come to Christ with this radical Damascus conversion experience, and the first city he preaches in, they want to kill him. And he's led down in a basket through the wall. And basically after that, he goes in Jerusalem. And what happens in Jerusalem? The disciples reject him. And he's sent to Tarsus. And in Jerusalem, all the people that used to accept him want to kill him. And he's sent to Tarsus. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of those things. I boast in that weakness because God was strong where I was weak. I found the strength of God where I was weak. Paul understood that it wasn't about whether he looked successful to the eyes of others. It was just that he was willing to be faithful. He was willing to just say, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. And that's my question for each of you. Are you willing? Are you willing just to say yes to Jesus, to just persevere? Are you willing to define spiritual prosperity in this way? Or prosperity in this way, just to be faithful? Will you be faithful even if you never see the dreams you're working towards come about? To just live and die in faith? Are, we, are you willing just to say, I'm just going to be here in Tarsus, and if Barnabas comes, he comes, but if he doesn't, I'm going to serve Jesus. Jesus is enough. I'm going to minister in this city, and if people accept me, they accept me, but if they reject me, they reject me. Jesus is enough. Is Jesus enough for you, or do you need something else to follow Jesus? Are you close to Jesus when things are going well, but when things are going poorly, you're distant? Do you go to church when it's going well, and when it's going bad, you pull away from church? Is Jesus enough? I think about in Romans 5, 1 through 5, these words through the context. When Paul talks about living by faith, he's not just talking about when things are going well, or when he was the missionary, or the apostle, or the evangelist. 
He's talking about when no one even wanted to accept him, when the disciples didn't accept him, when his old friends didn't accept him, when the church didn't accept him, when he was just in Tarsus. He said, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Your perseverance produces the character of Christ. The character of Christ was produced in Paul as he waited in Tarsus before anything happened, as he just waited faithfully for God to fulfill his promises. Perseverance, spiritual prosperity, it's not getting all our prayers answered, it's just being faithful. Be faithful to the one who's called you to this point. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you would like to text me, here's the number, 360-818-4513. 360-818-4513. Please donate to keep the show on the air. Go to fairlyspiritual.org. That's fairlyspiritual.org. And we need people to subscribe to this show through iTunes, through SoundCloud, through Stitcher. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. He loves you dearly. Persevere. It'll produce the character of Christ. I will see you next time. Proceeding broadcast was sponsored by Fairly Spiritual. When you write or call this program, be sure to mention you heard it on KCIS.